Welcome to the Westminster Effect Soxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar, westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. You can support the show at anchor.fm, make us sound better, all that good stuff. Even a dollar a month helps. You can subscribe, comment, all that good stuff, Facebook and Instagram. And that really helps us grow the show, like really, seriously, repost stuff, share us in your Instagram and Facebook stories, all that kind of stuff, and get the word out. That also helps me pay bills with Westminster Effects. I'm running solo today. The Right Reverend Bradley Cox, pastor of Resurrection Church in Beer, South Carolina, is out being a pastor. Kudos to him for that. Big old pat on the back. Uh, And John Ross is just swamped with work stuff, as he has often been lately. And that's good for him. It's better than being bored. Uh, And it means he's putting food on the table. But today, that means I'm fending for myself. And that should be terrifying for you. So I thought it would be uh, a decent opportunity to just kind of drill down on some of the stuff I I just talked about in my recent blog regarding Stephen Furtick. Uh, if you're not familiar with the situation, Furtick uh, posted, let me just find the thing so I can quote it accurately. Uh, he posted on his Facebook and Twitter and all that good stuff. Quote, following Jesus doesn't change you into something else. It reveals who you've been all along. What would it be like to see the you that God sees? And I took that opportunity to not just talk about, yeah, he missed it. Like, clearly, it's just unbiblical. And there's nothing you can really say uh, otherwise. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, Ezekiel 36, Ephesians 2, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually, after all of the pushback, the post was deleted. But as is the case with all celebrity pastors, there's never an apology. There's never any kind of actual retraction. My bad. I missed it. Uh, no, this guy is the man of God who you know, he, he prefaces sermons all the time. Like, he, hey, here's what God wanted me to tell you. And so he's never going to apologize for that. And in fact, the sermon is still up, which is the, the post was a pull quote. So the sermon's still up. He's actually standing by it. All he was doing was just not putting himself in a position to take flack for what he what he posted, uh, which honestly is pretty cowardly. But uh, the, the point is, of the blog, is this isn't anything new, one for Furtick or two for American Christianity. It's rampant. Uh, it's, it's rife through American Christianity, and it's in part because we're being influenced one by pragmatism you know if you get people in the door if you get people to raise a hand during a quote-unquote sinner's prayer or what have you then that's a win somehow that totally counts as a salvation one really it doesn't uh we should honestly be be measuring more baptisms on a 
uh, on a credible profession of faith, sorry Presbyterians, uh, <laughs> than anything else. But that's a win. But then two, you you have the influence of the Word of Faith movement, which is all about experience. It's all about your feels and all that, and we wonder why it's so big in America. And that's because that's pretty much our epistemology at this point. You know, we we talk a big game about being against critical race theory and standpoint epistemology, but then we turn around and do the exact exact same thing with word of faith theology with the seeker sensitive movement of let's you know. You know, I reference Joel Osteen's "Become a Better You." It's all about you. So is critical race theory. So is standpoint epistemology, and speaking your truth. It's all about you. And uh, so, really, Furtick. It really wasn't so much just about Furtick. It was about him as a stand-in for all of the other issues that we see right now. And so, it's you know, people ask why? Why do I go so hard on the Word of Faith movement, and that's a fair question. Uh, really, it's it's uh, the opposite side of the same coin of theological liberalism. Uh, and no, I'm not going to apologize for that. It's just as unbelieving as liberalism. And the root of that for both of them is that Scripture is inefficient to tell us about God. You know, with liberalism, we we get things uh, just off-the-wall things like God as mother or even, uh, what is it? Uh, it's not progressive theology in and of itself, uh, but it's basically that God changes along with us. Basically, God is evolving. I don't remember the term for that right now, so my apologies for that. But it's really based off of Scripture being inefficient, insufficient, and inefficient too, but, it, but with the word of faith, it looks like God told me such and so. And because God told me such and so, you're not allowed to actually question it. You're not allowed to push back on anything. If you push back, then you're pushing back on God's anointed, and you better look out. That's not a good place to be in at all. Uh, it's It's also... Uh, sneaky. It's nefarious. Uh, it uses the same terms that we do, God, Jesus, faith, saved, all of those kinds of things, and it mean, they mean entirely different things. Um, now, I'm not equating Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons with the Word of Faith movement. Uh, I do think the Word of Faith movement is closer to heresy than it is an actual cult. I think, you know, depending on the group, you know, groups like Bethel, uh, Bethel is definitely a cult. I wouldn't call Elevation a cult, right? So, let me just get that out there. But this will help me with the illustration more. When Trinitarians say God, we mean something entirely different than the, the than the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons. When we say Jesus, we mean something entirely different. Both the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons, when they say Jesus, they both mean a created being that hasn't always existed, right? And that is entirely different than the Trinitarian Jesus who has always existed, who was in the beginning with God and was God and took on flesh and dwelt among us. Those are entirely different. And so, it's kind of the same thing with guys like Furtick or Todd White or Jesse Duplantis or Ken Copeland. Is, is They'll say these things like faith, uh, 
or even declare, like declare God's goodness. But what they mean by those phrases is something entirely different. And that's one of the reasons it's so dangerous is they use the same even phraseology, not just terms, but the same exact phrases that the rest of Christianity uses. And they just mean something entirely different by them. Uh, And so one other thing very briefly before I get into kind of the principles that I use when I'm writing a blog or talking about someone like Furtick or Copeland or whoever, um, stuff like using elevations music, elevation worship music in your church. I'm not going to touch that one right now. I think that's a conversation for another time. I think there's a lot of conscience issues involved. I think there's a lot of Romans 14 that needs to be exegeted to have that conversation properly. And that's outside of the scope of what I'm talking about here. So I have three principles that I want to kind of go over that I use when, and maybe they don't always come out and I don't always do them perfectly by any stretch, but these are the goals, right? So the first big principle, fairly represent your opponent. And, and, you know, obviously I don't want to think of someone like Stephen Furtick as an enemy in and of himself. I'm arguing against his positions, right? So I don't want to, I don't want to engage in just beating up on him and his character. Uh, Whenever I engage with, I honestly, I don't care about his house. I think it's something like 16,000 square feet. I don't know how much money it costs to build it. And I don't care because that's beside the point. And I think that kind of thing is a distraction. Same thing with uh, like Ken Copeland's house and however many planes he owns or Jesse Duplantis with his planes. I don't care. I'm going after what he teaches. And when I go after what he teaches, I need to accurately and fairly represent what he's saying. So, When I debate or critique someone, I need to be able to state the opposing argument in a way that my opponent would agree with what I'm saying. So if he is saying grass is green and the sky is blue, what I need to also say is that, well, well, you're saying grass is green and the sky is blue, right? Yes. Okay. Now that we have that, let's move on and get to the consequences of those kinds of things. Uh, One of the really important things to remember here is bearing false witness is a sin. And bearing false witness can be intentional or unintentional. You can believe someone said a particular thing. Uh, and I'll, certain people have accused uh, Al Mohler of endorsing critical race theory when no such thing is going on. They'll say that critical race theory is being taught at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. It's not. They'll teach it as, hey, this is what these people are saying, but they're not advocating for it. Uh, to, so to say that Mohler is pushing CRT on seminary students is false witness, whether whether you mean to do it or not, whether you mean to lie about him or not. Um, same, And I've had the same thing happen to me is certain people will say, you're saying this and this and this and this about, you know, maybe binding conscience over what guitar effects to use or what music to use in your worship service. And I'm not. And they're bearing false witness. That's between them and God, ultimately. Uh, and when I 
critique someone like Furtick or Bill Johnson or whoever, uh, the way that I do that is between me and God, which should give us all pause. That shouldn't, uh, that shouldn't, you know, give us a, uh, a Red Bull <laughs> that we're not chugging a Red Bull and running through a wall, like in a football game. It's no, we, we need to be careful when we do these things. So now that we have that down, second big principle is while I'm fairly representing somebody, I need to also anticipate their objections. So if I'm, if I'm wargaming, if I'm planning a football game, uh, what I want to do is also anticipate what my opponent is going to do. And, and of course, this does tie in. I need to know their position so well that I'll know how they got there. I'll know the steps that they took, uh, where they went wrong exegetically, whether it was at the first proof text or the third proof text or what have you. And then I'll also know where they pivot in response to my argument, which will then give me additional ammo to use against their position. So if I'm thinking three or four steps ahead of them already, that just makes my, uh, I guess you could say argumentation victory that much easier, if that makes sense. Uh, what I want to do is know where they are coming from, which will also inform how I know they I know how they got there. I know what their position is all the way down. And really, in, in some ways, I need to know their arguments as well as I know my own, because I would want to be fairly represented and. Yeah, anyway, so not to go back to the first one too much. But third principle, this is where a lot of discernment guys need to learn a little something. I think Justin Peters does a good job uh, of this, even though he's more soft-spoken. Uh, he is a little more serious, but he's not hes not a turd about anything. We need to do it with joy. The joy of the Lord's our strength, right? I mean, that's kind of what the Bible says. You have to agree with it. <laughs> and... If, if we're arguing against people and, and we never show them that we're enjoying ourselves, that there is more joy on this side of the argument than on the other one, and that we're actually pretty sour about everything, one, that's no fun. It's not a healthy place to be in, but two, they're just going to think they're just going to think you're a douche. There's no fun in that. And you're not going to make any friends. You prefer like, I often don't like when people say when the person, uh, instead of the argument, sometimes you have to win the argument, but if I can win the argument and the person, that's a double win. Um, you know, all criticisms of Doug Wilson aside, he uses a, an, uh, an illustration comparing a cavalier with a pointy sword to an ogre, uh, with a club. <laughs> uh, the ogre with the club is just going to smash everything and he's ugly. The cavalier is able to dance around the topic and poke holes in it from all these different angles. And by the way, he looks a whole lot friendlier while he's doing it. There's a smile on his face. He's enjoying himself because the joy of the Lord is, is his strength. We can be angry about certain things. I was angry that Furtick's post got shared so much and so many likes and people were trying to defend him. Uh, like that's unconscionable, 
but we hate certain things, we hate certain positions because we love the truth more. We love good theology. We love the truth about God is one, uh, probably a better way to put it. We love the truth about God more than we hate heresy. But because we love truth, that means we hate heresy. And so we do need to fight against those things, but we have to do it with joy. If we don't do it with joy, we're wasting our time. And if all you can do is just be angry about things and never actually show that you're treasuring Jesus, that you're treasuring this triune God that did so many things for you by grace alone, I think there's a real danger there. I won't go so far as some other people and say, you know, I don't think you're saved or anything, but I do think that you don't understand the implications of how you're going about things. So with that, we're going to move on to the Inquisition because I can only talk so long by myself without John or Bradley buffing me. And this is the Inquisition, where you, the listener, contribute directly to the show. Usually I have two other guys also helping me uh, answer these on the fly. But it's just me. So you're just going to have to deal with it, as is tradition. Brian Morris asks, What are my thoughts on Mark Zuckerberg's announcement of Facebook becoming meta and the future plans to include virtual reality and the implications it has for the Christian. I'm going to really zero in on one area here. Well, really one area that touches a lot of others. Uh, We've, it kind of touches on virtual reality as church or church as virtual reality or quote-unquote, online campuses as if that's a thing. Don't get me started on the multi-campus model in general in the first place. But church cannot be done online, and it can't be done any way other than in person. The word literally means congregation. If the King James translators didn't have some pressure put on them by King James to translate it as church, it would have just been translated congregation. It's a group of people. You cannot do church by observing a live stream, and you definitely can't uh, do church by observing any kind of live stream virtually. It's not the same as real life anything. And deep down, everybody knows this. Like Everybody knows that Zoom calls for Thanksgiving during COVID weren't cutting it. Everybody knows that. It's just a matter of whether they want to be honest or not. And that gets down to just the fact that I hate, hate, everybody knows how much I hate the phrase doing life together, but you can't do that thing. What's What's the verse in Colossians? Sing to one another. You can't one another each other if you're if one of you is in Asia and the other of you is in North Dakota across the world. It just it simply does not work like that. It violates the definition. The definition of the word church is congregation. And if we're going to be big on defining boys and girls, which we should be and we should uh, we should have strong words for those who will violate those definitions and confuse those definitions. And, you know, when you, when you have one of the leading, quote unquote, health officials in the government uh, not knowing what those terms actually mean, that's a problem. It's a bigger problem when the church doesn't know what church means. 
And when the church doesn't know what the word church means, of course, other people aren't going to know what boys and girls are. So there you go. There's the implications that you have for for Christians is we have to stay in real life. There's plenty of good that can come out of virtual reality, whether it's gaming or conferences or what have you. Uh, There's different kinds of therapies. I'm sure that could be had. I don't know. I don't know exactly the science behind all that, but I'm sure some some good is going to come out of it. But church and the bulk of real life is going to continue to be in real life, and it should continue to be in real life, person to person. If if COVID's taught us anything, it has to be that the person to person interaction, like actually being able to touch each other, so vital. Dustin Beeman, next question. He asks on my thoughts on Together for the Gospel disbanding, and it's it's mixed. I have very mixed feelings on this. I've benefited tremendously from from listening to the conference, obviously, afterward in the podcast stream. Uh, but the last last one was pretty disappointing, particularly with the likes of Ligon Duncan and David Platt. And I'm not going to call them heretics because they're not. Uh, but they have gone off the rails, uh, particularly in the CRT-ish, uh, woke-ish kind of mentality. And, you know, some other guys have just had other emphases and it's probably just best to go ahead and kill it. And that's okay. Things things don't last forever, uh, humanly speaking, uh, except for, you know, the church and that kind of thing. But organizations just don't last forever and it did what it accomplished uh when they started together for the gospel there really wasn't just a ton of cooperation between the likes of baptists and presbyterians and now you have a lot of it so it served its purpose um it ultimately the legacy i think is really good um but at the same time, where some of those guys have ended up, I hope they can turn things around. Uh, but at this point, you know, the core guys, Moeller, Dever, uh, Duncan, uh, Keller, Piper, whatever, I'm not going to call any of those guys heretics. I'm, I'm going to call some of those guys uh, full of some bad ideas. They've gone off the rails on certain things, but we all do. We all do. And I would go I would go back in, in correcting some of those guys to those other three principles. Would they recognize the argument that you're arguing against? I think it's really important to keep in mind. Last question. And even though this is after Halloween in the calendar year, uh, we still need to think of these things ahead of time. He asks, how would one use Halloween to preach the gospel? And I think this is actually an easier answer than a lot of people think it would be. Uh, regardless of your thoughts on modern Halloween, uh, what we want to do is think as Christians about Halloween. Uh, if, if we're remembering the dead, the church triumphant, which is what All Hallows is, then we thank God for the fact that he kept his saints until the end and that we will one day rise from the dead with those, as they would call them back in the day, hallows. That's a great thing to celebrate. It's also a, a time to reflect on the fact uh, that Jesus has conquered sin, death, hell, Satan, etc. And so there's a, a little bit of, of ridicule that can happen with those costumes. 
scary or not. Um, but we we understand on Halloween that death doesn't have the final say. God does. Right. So it's not just uh, it's not just, hey, candy and whatever. Uh, well, that happens at Easter and Christmas, too. Uh, but thinking Christianly about the actual All Hallows and regardless of, you know, the old Celtic celebrations or whatever, let's think about the Christian thing, regardless of whether it was Christianized or not or just totally Christian originally. Uh, The point is remembering the church triumphant and remembering that Jesus has the final say over death. That's all I got. We're 24 minutes in, and I'm going to let you go because nobody needs to listen to me for 24 minutes straight. What's wrong with you? So, thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor, go make music, and we'll see you next week.